0: listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics that help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Do you ever feel like you're excelling at work but failing in your personal life? We all know this, but often seem to forget it. Life is about more than just work, but it takes a conscious effort to experience some form of balance along the way. In this episode, I am talking with the person who has been the primary mentor in my life since 2015. His name is Michael Hyatt is the author of multiple best-selling books, journals, and is a top-rated podcast host. In today's episode, we are discussing his book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Michael refers to this as the path toward the double win, where you don't have to choose between career achievement and your family, health, and personal interest. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 093. And now, here is my conversation with Michael Hyatt. Michael, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Good to be with you. This is just an honor to be talking to you. You're one of the primary mentors I've had in my life for nearly six years at this point. So I want to say thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. It was actually July 2015. I had this realization, I had this moment in my life where I realized through a friend who really challenged me with something. They said, Don't let your giftedness take you further than your character can. And I knew in that moment that that was actually happening for me. I was overseeing a lot of people and doing a lot of big things, but I realized I was outpacing myself. And because I started looking for mentors in my life and and I had a real struggle finding somebody local. And I remember one night I shared this frustration with my wife and I was like, hey, I am just struggling here. And I desperation I went to Google and just typed in virtual mentor to see what would come up on Google. I didn't expect to find anything, but my search led me to your website, which at that point, Michael, your your header on the site said your virtual mentor. And at that moment, it I like, I was it's just an answered prayer for me, because I started consuming your blog posts, your podcast content, and some of your books, and they just really impacted me. So thank you again for that impact you've had in my life. Truly an honor to be this time with you today.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. You know, that's a funny thing, because uh, we put that header on the website, because I kept hearing from people, you know, for the, for the previous five years that would say to me, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you're my virtual mentor. And I thought, you know, we just might as well own that. And so we did for a while. You know, it's different now, but that's what, it, that's what it was for a number of years.
0: Right. No, I love it. It's what got me stopping to to scroll and click on these different websites. So I appreciate it. It worked really well at that point. Good, good, good marketing good. and a, a godsend for me. So thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to cover five principles of the double win, which is from your book, Win at Work, Succeed at Life. And you've also referenced to these five principles to be something that frees you from the cult of overwork. So before we dive straight into the five principles, I want to quickly have you share what the double win means and also what the cult of overwork is so to start off can you talk about that double win what does that mean
1: yeah the double win is when you're winning at work and succeeding at life now the antithesis of that is when you're when you give way to the or or get succumb to the uh hustle fallacy where all you want to do is work you know that's a hundred percent of your life and you're willing to sacrifice your health your family Everything else that's important, sort of the altar of your am- ambition. Problem is, that's not sustainable. But there's a lot of celebrity entrepreneurs out there, including people like Elon Musk, that are advocating for that, who say, you know, unless you're working 100 hours a week, you're not serious. And, you know, you just need to work hard now. And eventually, you'll be able to, you know, have that time for your family, have time for your health, and so forth. Meanwhile, and I'm, you know, I hate to pick on him, but he's been so vocal about this that I'm going to. Um you know, he's on his third marriage. His, by his own admission is boys don't talk to him. And, you know, that's not the outcome that I want. You know, I, I want to have a rich, full, double win kind of life. I don't want to have to sacrifice my health, my family, but at the same time, and the, alterna- the alternative is for a lot of people, they, they don't want to succumb the, to the hustle fallacy. So they, they pump what we call the ambition break, You know, they say, I'll just accept less in my professional life. Well, I don't think that's necessary either. I think you can have both, but you got to have a strategy. And that's why we wrote the book. This is, you know, where the five principles came from.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to jump into those five principles in a moment here. But I want to ask you a question here, this double win. Is this something that you've just always carried yourself with? Or have you actually fallen prey to this cult of overworking your own life? And if so, I'd love to hear a story from your life if you're okay with sharing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know everything i write comes out of some story in my life usually some you know colossal failure where i screwed <laughs> it up royally so this is a good case in point so in the year 2000 i was working at thomas nelson publishers which at the time was the largest faith based publisher in the world largest bible publisher in the world and um i was given responsibility for one of thomas nelson's 14 book publishing division. So I was the general manager had about 30 employees, but I discovered about two weeks into the assignment that our division was dead last in every important financial metric. Um, we were shrinking. We weren't growing. We had lost money the previous year. So we were the least profitable division in the entire company. Employee morale was terrible. So the CEO says to me, he says, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? And honestly, I didn't have a clue, but I just said, I think probably three years. And I was kind of just guessing. And so he said, well, that's, you know, that's kind of what I was thinking, so have at it. So I rolled up my sleeves, went back with a vision you know, for the team, and I said, guys, I think we can really turn this around. And my vision is that we would become the most profitable, fastest growing, you know, best division in the company. So everybody got super jazzed about it. We rolled up our sleeves, and we were working 70, 80 hours a week, sacrificing evenings, weekends, vacations, traveling constantly on a plane, eating junk food, all that kind of stuff. But it worked. So in 18 months, so a year and a half, not three years, but in a year and a half, we went from number 14 to number one. We were the fastest growing division in the company, most profitable division in the company. And I got the biggest bonus check I'd ever gotten in my career. And it was more than my annual salary. I was over the moon. I could not wait to get home to share it with my wife, Gail. So I bounced in you know, the back door and I said, babe, look at this. You're not going to believe it. And I showed her the check And I could tell that she was just not quite her usual enthusiastic self. She was just reserved. She was holding something back and I thought, man, this doesn't feel right. And she said, honey, we need to talk. Well, that's like the worst thing you can hear as a husband because I I knew what was coming was probably not gonna be good news. So she took me into the den, we sat down and she began to tear up and she said, you know, I love you and I so appreciate everything you've done to support her family, but I gotta be honest she said, you are never at home. And I knew that was true. And she said, even when you are at home, you're not really here. You're somewhere else. And she said, frankly, our our five daughters need you. They need you now more than ever. And man, that was a gut kick. I knew she was right. And I wanted to be defensive, but I knew she was right. And then she started to cry. And she said, you know, if I'm honest, I feel like a single mom. But that was a gut kick. I I just, you know, I thought I had reached the pinnacle of success, but what I discovered was that was a false summit. And I knew I was in trouble. I didn't like the trajectory of this. And I suddenly realized in that moment that, that the things that were the most important to me, I was putting at terrible risk for the things that were the least important. And it wasn't that my career was unimportant, but man, I would hate to think that I would be successful in my career and sacrifice my family or my health in the process. So that was the beginning of a journey.
0: Wow. You know, this is, this is actually, first off, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, obviously that's, that takes you back to probably a pretty tough day. Very the start of a really tough year even, right? I mean, that, you had to change a lot of things to to turn that around, I'm sure. It's actually really convicting for me personally. And uh, the Creating a Brand audience knows I do this a lot. I put myself into this and share transparently. Uh, But I, I imagine a very similar conversation with my wife down the road if I don't make changes, and I came out of the corporate world where for a while I hustled way too much, but then when I got into my own my own thing, right, my side hustle, if you will, became my main gig. I said I wouldn't do that again, and here I am, a year into it, a year and just a few weeks right now, and I'm back at that. And when mm-hmm. I picked up this book, and I just finished it earlier this week before we're recording. And I immediately went to my schedule and realized that the things I had scheduled for 9 p.m. at night, because I was doing my sales calls and things like that during the, the day to, to hustle, to, to grow it. I was doing the administrative, administrative things at night that didn't matter for other people, right? I could do it after everyone else was asleep. And I just realized I'm neglecting what is the most important to me, which is my relationship with, with God and with my wife. Those things were taking a back seat. Yeah. And hearing this story is very convicting to me because it makes me realize that I might be heading down a, a similar path I know getting into these five principles is really going to help. But just before we do that, if you could go back to that moment, like that year and a half that you were like hustling to to get to this number one spot, right? Would you have done something different and still been able to achieve an outcome that was acceptable for that organization? Or do you feel like that's what you had to do at that time?
1: Well, let me just say, first of all, that there are times when we intentionally go out of balance, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is that usually we're not intentional about it. You know, usually what happens is, uh, and and see if your life sounds like this, you know, you think to yourself, you convince yourself that your current situation is temporary. You think, well, I've just started a new business. And once I kind of get it up and running, get, you know, recurring cash flow that's dependable, then I'll give my wife and my kids the time and attention they deserve. But then what happens is you have somebody on your team resigns or you have a vendor that, you know, blows up. And, and you end up saying to your spouse, you say, look, I, this is a little bit unusual, but soon as I get this employee replaced, because right now I'm doing two jobs, as soon as I get them replaced, then I'll snap back into balance and give you the time and the attention you deserve. And the problem is that temporary situation leads into another temporary situation that leads into another temporary uh, situation. And before long, these temporary situations have become permanent. They become a pattern that becomes normative. For our lives, and unless we interrupt that pattern, unless we begin to become intentional, we're on a trajectory uh, for a crisis. You know, it may show up as a health crisis. It may show up as, you know, a divorce. It may show up as kids going off the rail. It could show up as, you know, some work-related uh, crisis as well. That kind of lifestyle is simply not sustainable. And I think that that we've got to come to grips with the fact that this is a marathon. You know, if we want to go the distance, if we want to have a long-term marriage where we still love our spouses, where our kids still respect us and want to hang out with us when we're, you know, in good health, you know, that's that's going to take some intention. That's going to take some design. We're not going to drift to that outcome.
0: Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. I want to transition now into the five principles of this double win, which are five principles to free yourself from this cult of overwork. To give a quick overview of these, and then we'll dive into them. Principle number one is work is only one of many ways to orient your life. Principle number two is constraints, fast and productivity, creativity, and freedom. Principle number three, work-life balance is truly possible. Principle number four, there's an incredible power in non-achievement. And principle number five, rest is the foundation of meaningful, productive work So, Michael, are you okay if we dive into each of these briefly?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Cool. All right, let's go ahead and just start with number one there, which, again, is work is only one of many ways to orient your life. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think we have to recognize and acknowledge that that life is multidimensional. You know, there's at least 10 different domains to life. You know, you've got your spiritual, your intellectual, your emotional, your physical, your marital, if you're married, your parental, your social... Your, fit, uh, your vocational, your avocational, and by that I mean hobbies, and then your financial. Uh, there may be others as well, but there's at least 10 different dimensions of life. But the problem is, is that the way you hear people talk about it on social media, or the way that you hear your colleagues and peers talk about it, it's like work is the only thing that matters. Because, you know, people may make some chit-chat when you haven't seen them for a while, but, but inevitably the conversation gets around to, how's it going to work? You know, how's how's your career going? And it's because that's the place where we get so much satisfaction, so much sense of purpose. And I think part of the challenge is that we get a sense of progress there. And all the research that I've done on on what it takes to create happiness, we have to experience, you know, ongoing progress toward a significant goal to experience happiness. And at work, we can measure stuff. We can see whether or not we're making progress. We get a lot of Uh, Pats on the backs, a lot of attaboys, a lot of reinforcement, a lot of rewards, financial and otherwise. And we don't get that so much, you know, when we're working on our health or when we're working on family life. These are long term projects with oftentimes little feedback, little positive feedback. And so it's natural for us to want to drift to work. But here's the problem not only is life multidimensional, all these dimensions are interconnected. So you can't just, you know, treat them as silos. Because the one affects the others. So for example, if if I have a health crisis, then that's going to back up into my work. It's probably going to back up into my marriage. On the other hand, if I'm experiencing stress at work, that could have a consequence on my health. Or it could have a consequence on my relationships. Or if I get a, have a kid that's gone off the rails, then I'm going to be distracted at work. I'm going to be thinking about the kid and what I'm going to do to get them back on track. So these are interrelated they work best when they're all in relative balance. And I don't mean perfect balance, but relative balance to one another. So that's that's the first principle is to to realize and be self-aware enough to know that if I'm not giving attention to all these different dimensions at some level, then I'm I'm probably gonna flame out at some point.
0: And how do you keep track of these different dimensions that you mentioned? Because it, it can that's a lot to remember, right? If there are ten or more for some people, or maybe a few less even. That's still a lot to be able to remember. And work is the one that, again, you're getting the, the accolades for, and people are talking to you about. So, how do you remember these other things? What's helped you do that?
1: Well, a couple of things. One is we've actually developed an assessment that's enormously helpful uh, called the Life Score Assessment. And it basically enables you to self assess on these 10 domains. And people could find that at bestyourever.me forward slash. Life score It's part of our Best Year Ever program, but it's a free assessment, bestyearever.me forward slash life score. And you can take that assessment, it'll literally give you a life score, and you'll see which domains you're weak in, which ones you're strong in, which are the ones that need attention if you're going to, you know, have a full orbed life. Another thing I would say, too, is to set the intention and kind of set a vision for each one of those domains. And I wrote about that in my book with Daniel Harkavy called Living Forward. It's about how to develop a life plan. And uh, there we just basically walk through people through a process of articulating a vision for each of those different domains. And and the the basic question is, what do you see in 25 years? What do you want your marriage to be in 25 years? What do you want your health to be like in 25 years? And so, you know, all those questions are, are important, but to follow Dr. Stephen Covey, you know, he says, begin with the end in mind. And that's kind of what we do with the life planning exercise.
0: Love that. I'm going to link to that resource in the show notes as well. So thank you for that. Moving on to principle number two, this one, I had to read it a couple times to make sure I got it correctly. Constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. What do you mean by constraints uh, foster these things? Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. You know, another
1: word for constraints, a synonym would be boundaries. And I think that sometimes we think that if we throw constraints off, if we throw our boundaries off, that we'll truly be free, that constraints are the enemy of freedom. But I would say just the opposite. And let me give you a story. Um, Back when I had that fateful encounter with, with Gail in the den, where, where she told me you know, that she felt like a single mom, I realized I needed help. So one of the first things I did, which I really recommend is I hired an executive coach. I needed resources outside of myself. And you know, I think that the coaching is the best way to go further faster. So I hired this executive coach, it was Daniel Harkavy with whom I wrote Living Forward. But at the time we were just getting to know each other And he said, as he listened to my story, and he's and I did a couple of assessments for him, and we talked, and he said, you know, it seems to me, like your work, doesn't have any boundaries. There's no constraints. And he said, tell me if this sounds right. And I said, okay. He said, my guess is that in the afternoon, when it dawns on you that you're not going to finish your task list by the end of the day, you think to yourself, hey, no problem. I'll go home. I'll eat a quick, dinner with the family. Then I'll prop open my laptop and I'll finish up on work. Or you get to the end of the week on Friday and you think, gosh, I'm not going to finish my work for this week. So no problem. I'll do it on Saturday morning. I'll do it on Sunday evening. And he said, my guess is that even on your vacations, you're the kind of guy that gets up early before the family gets up and you work on that project that you haven't had time to pursue at work. Or you're trying to catch up on email during your vacation. He said, is that right? And I said, "You're, you're spot on. I mean, you know, I'm dead to rights. You've, you've completely nailed me. And he said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. He said, if we're going to make progress, you're going to have to impose constraints on your work, because if your work has taken up all your time, then there's no time for anything else. And I said, well, that totally makes sense. He said, what time are you willing to quit work at the end of the day? So I thought about it for a minute and I said, I, I'm willing to quit at 6 p.m. And he said, okay, you're not going to open your laptop after 6 p.m. You're done. You're finished with work till the next morning. I said, yes. He said, What about the weekends? That I kind of gulped and I said, Okay, I'm I'm willing to not work on the weekends. What about vacations? Same thing. And I said, Okay. So he said, Well, great. He said, Since you've made that commitment, will you give me permission to call Gail every 30 days or so? Wow. And check in with her to see how you're doing. Real accountability. Oh my gosh. You know, at that moment it got real serious. And so he did, he did that, you know, for the better part of a year, he would just call her periodically and he got her permission, he got my permission, but then he would just call her out of the blue and say, Hey, how's he doing? And it was phenomenal accountability because I didn't know when he was going to call. So I was always kind of on my toes and it really helped. And here's why constraints foster creativity, focus, and productivity is, and freedom is because it's kind of like that Friday before you go on a one-week vacation, you fly out on Saturday morning, like I'm literally, as we're recording this, I'm flying out Saturday to go to Mexico for a one-week vacation. So I, I, I already know Friday's going to be like uber productive. Why? Because I have a constraint. You know, in the middle of the day when I'm tempted to get distracted or scroll on social media forever, I will say to myself, I don't have time for that. I'm flying out tomorrow morning. I got to stay focused and work hard. And that's exactly how constraints work. They force us to set priorities and then manage to those priorities. And so, you know, today, like when the pandemic started back in, you know, March of this last year, we realized that we had a lot of young, young parents working in our company of about 50 employees, and most of them have young children at home, and now they had no childcare, they had no school. So they were trying to work with little, little kids underfoot. So we said, as an experiment, let's constrain the workday. Let's go from an eight-hour workday. And we'd been very, you know, very strict with that because we wanted people to experience that double win. But we said, we're going to go to six-hour workday from nine to three as an experiment for two weeks. And we're going to see if we can maintain our same level of productivity. So after two weeks, the executive team got together and we said, this is amazing. We, we can't tell any difference. We, we feel like we're being just as productive. So we went for another month and then we went through the summer. Again, 30-hour work week. we said, How's it going? Then we got back together in September as an executive team and said, What do we think? And we said, We decided we're going to make this a permanent feature of Michael Hyatt and Company. This is, we work 30 hours a week, not 40 hours a week. But here was the kicker we didn't sacrifice anything in terms of productivity. We finished the year 101% ahead of last year in terms of profitability, 52% ahead of our budget. I mean, we blew it out. And I'm convinced but actually that constraint of working shorter hours counterintuitively contributed to that. It, it forced us to make better decisions.
0: I've definitely found that to be true. That same thing, you're talking about that Friday, we're about to go on vacation. Somehow in that one eight-hour stretch or 10 hours, whatever it ends up being, it's like, wow, I just did like more than I did in the whole previous month in one <laughs> right. day. And it's because you're not like, I'm going to go get some food. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. You're very focused on the most important thing you have to do. So this, this makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think everyone understands this. We just say we'll work more hours to get more done. But the truth is, you're saying that if you work less hours, more focused hours, you're actually going to get the more important things done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you'd asked the question earlier. I don't think I even directly answered it. But you said, you know, if I could go back in time, you know, what would I have done differently back then? Well, I think I, I sort of had this unspoken, maybe even un- unthought of assumption that, that if you wanted to get more done, you had to work more. And that's, that's just absolutely not true because not all work is created equal. One of the things we teach people with our full focus planner, which is a physical planner system that we have for productivity, is we teach people to select their daily big three. And, and the premise behind that was that the average person, based on our research, would end up with about 15 tasks that they need to get done every day. So people that use a task manager on average have 15 tasks they need to get done. The Pareto principle says that 20% of the effort drives 80% of the results. So 20% of those tasks really matter. The other ones, you know, you can get them done, but they don't really count in the same way as the 20%. 20% of 15 is three. So if you identify those daily big three every day, and you do that day after day, week after week, you'll move the needle on your business. You will be able to win at work and succeed at life and get the most important things done. You won't get everything important or you'll get everything done, but the important stuff will get done.
0: I've definitely found that to be true since implementing this daily big three going after that. When I get those three things done, I have a checklist of usually five to 10 of the things. And sometimes I don't get to them, but it doesn't matter. People are still like, wow, you're getting a lot done. It's because I focus on the most important things. It's really powerful. Like you said, not all work is created equal. I think that's a really, really powerful quote and thing to remember. Uh, moving on, though, to principle number three, and this is the most counterculture one here. Work-life balance is truly possible.
1: Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of people that rail against this and suggest that it's a myth. And I think that's enormously, not just detrimental, but destructive. I think that work-life balance is absolutely possible, though it's not what people typically think it is. So first of all, it doesn't mean giving equal time and attention to every dimension of your life. So today, I'm working six hours. I have a six-hour workday today. But I worked out for an hour in the gym this morning. That's how I typically start, you know, my day. It's part of my morning ritual. Um, Work-life balance does not mean that if I'm going to work six hours that I've got to to work out for six hours or I have to spend six hours a day with my wife and six hours a day on my kids. No, it means giving the appropriate amount of time. So an hour a day is more than enough time for me to keep physically fit. I'm in the best shape of my life. I literally just got back from the doctor today and I was... In great shape. My weight, everything. That's great.
0: Congratulations. That's so cool. But
1: thank you. But I don't have to do six hours a day to do that, right? And so, you know, I I work 30 hours a week. I don't spend 30 hours a week with my wife, but I give her an appropriate level of attention. And so the other thing about work-life balance is that it's a little bit like walking across a balance beam if you were a gymnast. I've never been a gymnast, but I've watched them on TV. And, you know, it's a constant. Effort, you're constantly balancing and rebalancing, constantly distributing and redistributing your weight. And that's how it has to be in work-life balance. It's always attention to manage. As Andy Stanley says, it's not attention to resolve, it's attention to manage. And it and it takes work. You know, and and to be honest, you know, full disclosure, there's times I go out of balance. But the thing that's different is that now I know when I'm out of balance. And I I know that it's temporary and I get back into balance. So let's say that some of the people that are listening to this, you know, they're in the middle of some big project. Maybe they're writing a book or they're launching a new product or they're doing something that's going to take extra time. Great. No problem with that at all. You know, but here's what I would suggest. First of all, be intentional. Have a conversation with your spouse. Say, look, here's the situation. I'm launching this new product. I'm gonna be out of balance for the next few months, or I'm gonna be, you know, whatever. But make sure that you build some accountability in, and don't fall into the self-deception that it's temporary once it becomes permanent. Don't let it become permanent. And and the normative thing has gotta be that you gotta be in balance. You can occasionally go out of balance, but the normative thing is you gotta be in balance, if you're gonna be healthy.
0: Yeah, this is, this is a good point, and I think that for me, I even think about you use the gym as kind of a, one of your examples there. For me, the same thing. During summer, for some reason, I just have more energy. I mean, I live in Florida, right next to the beach, so I like, get a lot of sun and things like that, and for some reason, that energizes me. My workouts during summer can be a lot shorter than the ones in the winter, yet they're still more powerful. For some reason, I just have that energy mm-hmm. boost. So I have to always, like you're saying, it's not a matter of finding one thing and sticking to it forever. It's figuring out what works in the different seasons of life that we're in and those changes always have to happen. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think a lot of us, we have this idea of I've got the perfect schedule, I've got the perfect balance and we just want to let it coast forever. But putting on autopilot is really dangerous because it needs to be revisited. Yes. It needs to be adjusted along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is something to revisit periodically and like that life score assessment, that's something that, that I take and we encourage our, our clients to do once a quarter just because things can creep up on you. But if you're monitoring the slippage, You can keep things from going off the tracks too far. So like, for example, you know, I, I, there was a season right after the first of the year where we were working on a webinar project and it just wasn't coming together. And so I had to spend a couple of weekends, which I normally, like I normally don't work, think about work, read about work, talk about work on on my time off. But I had to, to forego that for a couple of weekends to get that webinar back on track. But that's where, you know, talking with my wife Gail beforehand and telling her exactly what was happening and saying to my team, look, don't let me slip into this pattern. You know, I've, I've done this before. And the truth is, I love work. And if I'm not careful, I can do it all the time and I can still fall back into it. So I, I think of workaholism almost like alcoholism, you know, as something that you can, can always, uh, you're always at risk of slipping back into. And so I, I feel the same thing
0: about my work. This is a great transition into the fourth principle because I think it really speaks to the, the point behind what you're sharing there, and it's that there's incredible power in non-achievement. I think what guys like you and I are addicted to, I know that both of us on our Strength Finder's achievement is, is really up there, I think what we're addicted to is this sense of achievement. It's not even necessarily the work, it's the fact that we're checking things off, whether they're important or not, and you say that there's incredible power in non-achievement definitely needs an explanation from somebody like me who is, I, I tend to be addicted to achievement. Yeah, well,
1: me too. Like if you look at the strength finders, you know, my number one strength is achiever. Um, if you look at Enneagram, I'm a three, you know, which is the achiever. So yeah, so achievement, I, I've been known, I'm sure you've never done this, Alex, but you know, I've even written things down I've already done just so I could check them off just to satisfaction. Oh, guilty.
0: <laughs> guilty.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's how you know if you're an achiever. And I, I work almost exclusively with high achievers, But but the truth is there's a lot of things in life that you just can't measure, or that 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 are rewarding, not for the sake of achievement, but just that for the sake of doing them. You know, I think I think sometimes we we think of ourselves as human doings, not human beings. And and we some of the most important things in life are relationships that you just can't quantify. Uh, even hobbies, you know, things where you know that's not going to count. I'm not going to make any money with my hobby. You know, I I fish for a hobby and I play Native American flute, and I golf. And I promise you, I'm not I'm not good enough at any of those to make a living or to even be in a tournament, you know? But it's just incredible satisfaction in doing those things because it gives expression to parts of, of my life and my world that otherwise I wouldn't get expression to. It gets my mind off work, which all by itself is restorative and restful and kind of puts me in a position where I can be relaxed. Honestly, some of the best business ideas I've ever had have just sprung out of nowhere when I was the most relaxed, and I I didn't really understand that till I started reading uh, some some research on performance athletics. And one of the things that one of the authors I was reading said is that tension is the enemy of performance. And I know that's true from golfing. You know, like if I start squeezing that club too hard and I get tense, I'm not going to play a good round of golf. I play best when I'm relaxed. And the same thing is true with business. You know, if we can take that time off to really rest, to really be restored, to do non achievement sort of things, it makes us, first of all, more interesting at work, but it also makes us more relaxed so that we show up as the best version of ourselves when we do come to work.
0: I love this point. And this is one that I had to learn the hard way because, again, going back to being an achiever, loving to check things off, setting time to just reflect, to just be alone in nature even I, again i live really close to the beach so i love to go to the ocean and i've gotten the habit of not taking my phone with me or not listening to music or podcasts while i'm working out things like that actually boost this this creativity within me and i'm not technically achieving anything and that that is like a constantly something that i have to fight with cuz i'm like i got so much to do but i find when i do it like you're saying some of my best ideas some of the best things i've done the most fulfilled i've ever felt came from this act. I think it's really important. Hmm. And it, it, it's just something that, that is tough at times. Like it's not always easy to do. It, it's not. And
1: I, th- I think that most of these things you have to approach as an experiment. So I never say to somebody, for example, say, you know, you need a hobby and you need to you know, adopt that hobby for the rest of your life. No, just be experimental. You know, my dad is like the best example I know of this. My dad is a serial... Hobbyist. He's done one hobby after another, and he's always got something going. He's 87 years old now, and he's still, you know, pursuing new hobbies. and And it's been fun to watch him do that through the years. But it's kind of always an experiment. You know, he's just I'm just going to try something new. I'm not going to commit to it for the rest of my life. I'm going to see see if I like it. One of the things I'm doing this summer is I'm taking three months off. I'm taking a three month sabbatical this summer, and one of the things I want to give a shot uh, to or give a, a a try at is painting. So I don't know if I like it. Or if I won't, but I'm going to give it the old college try and do it for three months and see what, what comes of it.
0: The best advice I ever got from an old art teacher was that the painting's already on the canvas. You just have to find it. So best of luck to you, Michael. That's that. good. <laughs> best of luck <laughs> to you. Uh, moving into principle number five, because I think this really goes right into that. And this is where you say rest is the foundation of meaningful, productive work. Can you talk about this a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of high achievers, for a lot of these celebrity entrepreneurs, they see sleep and rest as the enemy of productivity. And, and in fact, the enemy of success. When I was um, the CEO at Thomas Nelson Publishers, we published a book that advocating training yourself to get by on four hours sleep a night. And and sort of the premise or the argument of the book was that if you could just sleep four hours a night, think what you could do with those extra four hours. You know, your peers, your competitors, you know, they're asleep. But if you put that, that time to work, you know, you could blow past them, except that you're just not made for that. You know, and, and all the science, and I mean, this is, you know, some science is contradictory, but all the science on this is unanimous. You need at least eight hours sleep a night as an adult. If you want to be in the best shape physically, if you want to be in the best shape emotionally, spiritually, if you want to show up as the best version of yourself. And I think for a lot of, lot of high achievers, they see rest as kind of the reward for hard work. Like, you know, if I, if I achieve this sales goal or this revenue goal, then I'll take that vacation in Mexico. Or, you know, I'll sleep when I get my to-do list done. And it's, it's I think it works just the opposite of that. You know, I don't think it's by any accident in the Genesis account and in Judy, uh, Judaism that evening is the first part of the day. You know, in Genesis it says God created, you know, the first day, the evening and the morning, they were the first day. And so it's rest precedes productivity. Rest is what sets us up for success. Now, just think about it in your own experience. If you get a good night's rest, like last night, I, I track this every single day. Last night, I slept eight and a half hours. I got up. I was rested. I was focused. I haven't been distracted today. I haven't had to reread paragraphs over and over again. I'm not stumbling, well, not any more than usual, over my words, <laughs> Right. you know, be, because I'm rested. And when you're not rested, and I, somebody I follow and love is Dan Sullivan. One of the things Dan Sullivan says, he says that, have you ever, have you ever noticed that the more tired you are, the dumber everybody else gets? <laughs> and it's kind of true. Right. You know, but it has nothing to do with them. It has all to do with you and your perception, whether or not you're rested. So we've got to learn to put a higher priority on sleep. I mean, even in the gym. My, my trainer told me this, and I think it's exactly right. She said, you don't actually build muscle in the gym. You break down muscle in the gym. You build it when you sleep. And the reason a lot of people can't get as lean as they'd like to get or build as much muscle as they'd like to get is because they're unwilling to sleep as much as they need to to do that.
0: I'm glad you bring this up because you being such a high achiever, it, it adds, adds a little weight to this because a lot of people, the assumption is the first thing I can give up to take a shortcut is my sleep. And I know this to be true. I've done a lot of studying on this. In fact, we did an entire episode of this on creating a brand. And the truth is, the more you sleep, the better you're going to do in all these areas. I mean, it is the number one That's factor right. to your overall health is your actual sleep, the quality of it. And this is one thing that I don't cheat. I always make sure that I get good sleep because I've I've seen the difference between me on even five and a half hours and eight and a half hours. It is a huge difference with the decisions I make, the creativity that I have. The, the longevity that I'm able to do something for, people are always like, wow, well, you're a machine. I'm like, I just get really good sleep. And that's, that's really kind of been my secret weapon in what I do. And so I'm really glad that you kind of added some weight to that because it's very, very important. You know, one uh, interesting stat, I think I actually
1: cite this in Free to Focus, but if you try to get by on six hours sleep a night for two weeks, you will be operating cognitively at the level of somebody who is legally drunk. That's what cheating your sleep does. It puts you in a position where you're, you might as well just be drunk because that's your cognitive ability.
0: That's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Creating a brand, make sure you don't skip on sleep, even though it's the first thing our minds go to. Really important. Thank you for covering that, Michael. So before we end today, I want to ask you, if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom on this topic of creating a double win for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I would say that, that first of all, this is not going to happen by accident. I would say 95% of the people that I meet, uh, 95% of the people that come into our coaching program uh, when they come in, they're just kind of drifting through life. They're not being that intentional. And the problem is when you're drifting through life, you know, you're just taking one day at a time and you don't really have a plan. You don't have a vision for where your life is going or where your business is going. When you're drifting like that, nobody ever ended up at a destination they would have chosen when they're drifting. The alternative to drifting is to design it. You know, you got to design, you got to be intentional. And I think that, that merits, you know, carving out some time, to really plan how things are going to be different. And I would say that the very best place people can, can start, if they want to make a difference, if they want to begin to experience this double win, is to establish some hard boundaries around work. And I would just invite you, as an experiment, to adopt my four non-negotiables, which is in off work time, you won't do any work, you won't think about work, you won't talk about work, and you won't read or listen to anything work-related. and In addition to that, what I would suggest is that you plan that non-work time so that you're not tempted to drift back into work because nature abhors a vacuum. And if you don't have anything to do in that space that you've created, I promise you, you will drift back into work. So get a hobby, schedule a date night, schedule time with your kids, you know, something that keeps you from drifting back into work. And then just as an experiment, see how much richer how much more satisfying and fulfilled your life is
0: that's a super powerful challenge in this with michael thank you so much for sharing with us today it was an honor to get to talk to you and just sharing all that wisdom with us thanks again for being a guest thanks alex i appreciate you having me on as you can tell from our conversation michael truly embodies a balanced life he's clearly winning at work while also succeeding in his personal life and this is extremely rare to find in business leaders that are at Michael's level. I greatly appreciate how transparent he was throughout this episode, just sharing the struggles and the wins along the way. Michael also referenced the Full Focus Planner, which is the planner I actually use. And I highly recommend it because it's really helped me stay on track both in my personal and professional life. I'll have a link to it in the show notes so you can take a look at it as well. Michael, thank you again for being a guest and sharing how we can all achieve this double win in our personal and professional lives. To pick up a copy of Michael Hyatt's book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life, and to take the life score assessment, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 093. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.